Well, good morning. If you weren't blessed with that, your blesser's broken. Good stuff this morning. Psalm 96. Psalm 96. I used to not worship as much because I thought, what if my voice doesn't hold out? It doesn't matter anymore. You are just going to put up with raspiness sometimes because I'm not going to sit over there and not worship the Lord with you, that's for sure. Especially during our Heart of Worship series, right? Hey, before we get into Psalm 96 this morning, a couple things. With the holidays coming up, a couple special things. Wednesday before Thanksgiving, so this year will be November 27th, we are having our pie fellowship that night as part of our Bible study on Wednesday night. Uh, It's something we've done every year at the Oasis except last year when we were transitioning out of Basha and moving in to here. So this year we're we're doing it again. So uh, if you're going to be here and you'd like to maybe bring a pie, please see Phil or Regina. They're going to coordinate that that night. We don't need everybody to bring a pie, although that would be pretty cool, I guess. We each could have our own pie, but... But anyway, uh, but we're looking forward to that. That's always the Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. We have just a really special time of worship and the word, and then we have time just, uh, just getting ready to, to thank the Lord the, the, the next day. Then, I want to share this with you. Something we've never done before at the Oasis, but we're going to start this year since we've moved into this new building and we have our new church home. As you know, starting Sunday, December the 1st, we start our Christmas series. And the whole month of December, we're going to be focusing on the Christmas story out of the Gospel of Luke. The church is going to be decorated from that Sunday on. You're going to come in that Sunday and see wreaths and trees and all that. And I just want to thank all of you who have donated both, you know, things that you have or or monies to be able to, you know, buy, whatever. The church is going to look beautiful for the Christmas season. But I also want to let you know that the Wednesday night before Christmas, so a week before Christmas, Christmas falls on a Wednesday this year, the 25th, the 18th of December, instead of having our normal Wednesday night, for anybody that wants to come, this is for children and everybody, families, single, it doesn't matter, if you meet at the church at 6.30, because normally our Wednesday starts at 7.00, We're going to meet at the church at 6.30. We're going to go out into the community, and we're going to go Christmas caroling, okay? Then we're going to come back here for some Christmas cookies and hot chocolate and a bunch of goodies back here. So that's Wednesday, December the 18th. And, of course, then Tuesday, December the 24th, is our annual Christmas candlelight service, okay, the night before Christmas. So anyway, a lot going on we want you to be a part of Uh, And we wanted to let you know about that. So we are in the middle of our, actually we're getting towards the end of our Heart of Worship series. And I believe that God led me to this series because he wanted to create in our church and in each of us a heart that would worship him. I truly believe that when a Christian, when a follower of Jesus Christ, their life is all about worshiping God, then everything else will fall into its rightful place. So in Psalm 96, I want us to look at this, and today what I want us to do, we don't do this every Sunday, I want you to follow along with me as I read 
these 13 verses of Psalm 96. If I had to title this psalm, it would be Declare His Glory. And out of this psalm, we're going to look at the call to worship, the cause of worship, the content of worship, and the context of worship this morning. Please follow along as I read Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. By the way, you think God wants us to sing? <laughs> Announce every day how he delivers. Tell the nations about his splendor. Tell all the nations about his amazing deeds. For the Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. He's more awesome than all gods. For all the gods of the nations are worthless, but the Lord made the sky. Majestic splendor emanates from him. His sanctuary is firmly established and beautiful. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nations. Ascribe to the Lord splendor and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the splendor he deserves. Bring an offering and enter his courts. Worship the Lord in holy attire. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world is established. It cannot be moved. He judges the nations fairly. Let the sky rejoice and the earth be happy. Let the sea and everything in it shout. Let the fields and everything in them celebrate. Then let the trees of the forest shout with joy before the Lord, for he comes. For he comes to judge the earth. He judges the world fairly and the nations in accordance with his justice. And the people of God all said, Amen. Amen. Let's first look at the call to worship in the first three verses. This is what the psalmist is doing. That's why he's saying over and over again, sing, sing, sing. God wants his people to be a singing people, you see. And then notice in verse 1, he says, sing to the Lord a new song. It's not that God doesn't like the old songs. It's not like we shouldn't like the old songs. But God always wants new songs written and sung about him. Why? Because God wants to keep our worship of him current. You see, God doesn't want anything in our life to stagnate, to get where it becomes so routine that you and I just sort of go through the motions and we're not creating through our everyday walk with God something new. That's why I praise God for the new songs that we can sing and the new worship that we can offer to God. It's always good to go back and sing some of the old ones too, but it's important that we always keep doing new, fresh things with God, especially in our worship. If God is doing something in our life and we're learning more about God and we're growing, then that should be expressed in new and fresh ways to worship God. Then notice this. Verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. I want you to notice something, and this blew my mind. We're going to have a missionary come up who's here with us. I'm going to be introducing him to you a little bit later on. It wants to share his missionary work with us this morning. And way back when I scheduled him to come, I did not realize that he was going to come on the Sunday that I was going to be teaching on this psalm. And here's what blows me away about this. This psalm, more than any other psalm, has a global focus to it. 
I, I want you to see this. Ten times, ten times in 13 verses, the psalmist makes reference to all the earth or something to that effect. Notice in verse 1, sing to the Lord all the earth. Look at verse 3, tell the nations about his splendor. Verse 3, tell all the nations about his amazing deed. Look at verse 7, ascribe to the Lord, O families of the nations. Look down in verse 9, tremble before him all the earth. Verse 10, say among the nations. And then in verse 13, for he comes, he comes to judge the earth. He judges the world fairly and the nations. You see, the psalmist is saying this, and we're going to come back to this point at the very end as well, but what the psalmist, one of the things he's saying here is that the people of God, yes, worship can be very personal and very individual and very private, and there's a place for that in our lives, but there's an equally important place in our lives for the worship of God to, to go external, that, that God is doing something so special so special in each of our lives and in our church that we can't keep it to ourselves, that it literally bubbles up and, and we can't help but, but want to sing it out and, and declare it and tell the whole world about the God that we know and that we love and that we serve, you see. That, that's what worship is. If you and I truly are, how can we come to church and keep our mouths shut? When we're worried, how can we not sing? Which is why he says three times, sing, sing, sing. If we don't get it, he's saying, I'm going to repeat it over and over again. In fact, notice in verse 2, announce. Verse 3, tell. In fact, he uses the word tell twice in verse 3. He's saying, yes, there's a time where it's just you and God, and it can be silent, and it can be from, from just a, a, you know, a sort of a spiritual aspect to it that nobody else around has to know that you and God are, are with connecting and that you're worshiping him. But God also wants that public, that community, that, that awesome celebration corporately where the people of God come together and we truly celebrate him. And we can't keep what God is to us and who God is to us and what he's done for us in, in ourselves anymore. We got to shout it out and declare it even to all the ends of the world, you see. Well, that's the call to worship. Sing, sing, sing. Praise, which in verse 2 literally means bless his name, announce, tell, and tell. The psalmist is saying, God's people, don't be silent. Don't keep your worship of God to yourself. Come into his house and let it out. Sing before the people. Let others around know that we worship the one true God, and that he is certainly worthy of our praise. Which leads me then in verses 4 through 6 to the cause of worship. Notice, for the Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. Folks, we could just, if you didn't retain or remember anything else from Psalm 96, just remember those words every day. Here's why. Because our worship of God will be in proportion to the worship we believe he is worthy of. 
Let me repeat that. That is so important. Our worship of God, our singing, our announcing, our praising, our telling others about him will be in direct proportion to the worship we believe he is worthy of. You see, do we really believe that God is great? If we really believe God is as great as the word of God declares he is, then we cannot help but worship him. Big God, great God, big, great worship. Small God, little God, very little worship. Our worship of God is always tied to our concept and our view of God. And I think we always have to not bring our God, the infinite God, down to even a level that you and I can, can grasp all the time. So often as human beings, we want to understand everything about God and, and we want to we bring him down to where we can fit him into our little box or boxes. And, and God is so much greater and bigger than that. And you and I as the church, we've got to let God be God and let him be beyond us and let him be beyond our comprehension. We've got to bring back the wonder of God in our worship, you see. For the Lord is great and certainly worthy of praise. In fact, if you go down to verse 8, notice that the psalmist says, Ascribe to the Lord the splendor he deserves. Again, I go back to the point of, do I really believe God deserves worship and praise? If I don't really believe that in my heart, like, well, you know, God's really not deserving of all this fanfare. I don't know what all these people of God are getting so excited about, you know. Then our worship is going to be very, very tiny in respect to the greatness of God. But if we believe that there is no amount of worship, no amount of singing, no amount of praise, no amount of shouting out the greatness and goodness of God that it could ever even begin to match who he is and what he is to us, then we will constantly and continually be worshiping him because we know that no matter how much worship I give God, he actually deserves more. Amen. He actually deserves more than I could ever give him. We can never get, and, and I hope this is, this is what I hope and pray for our church, that this heart of worship series that is hopefully creating in all of us a heart for God and a heart for worship, again, will not be something that ends in two weeks when this series ends. I hope that God starts lighting a spark in all of us that continues to grow. And whereas a church, we never get to the point where we think we're worshiping God enough where we, we never think like we've maxed it out. Now, we, we've gone all the way that our worship can go. No, to me, we should never stop growing in our worship any more than we should stop growing in any other area of our Christian life. Let it go. Don't put a ceiling on your worship. Don't, don't say, you know, well, God, I'm, I'm going to worship you this far, but I don't, I don't know about going any further than that. Guess what? God always is wanting to take us further than we want to go. Amen. And I'm thankful for that. In fact, some of you, you still need to step out of the boat. Some of you, worship-wise, you're still sitting in your little boat. 
And God's calling you out on the water and saying, come and worship me and let yourself go and sing and, and, and make a joyful noise and praise me. And every once in a while, get really radical and raise that hand. And, and every once in a while, get really radical and say amen. Right, Larry? Amen. amen. That's right. Praise the Lord. You know? Wow. Getting a little shaky in here, <laughs> you know. All I can tell you is this. When you and I start putting limitations on anything in our walk with God, we're the ones that lose, not God. Amen. Even though Peter sunk after he got out there on that water, can you imagine the story he told about I'm a human being just like you, and for at least a few seconds, I was walking on water. Yeah, because Peter was willing to get out of the boat. And I'm telling you, God has something special for our church and for each of us individually if we would just be willing to stop putting limits and limitations on him and us and all of that and let him take us where he wants to take us. Because if he's taking us and we're following him, it's good, my friends. In fact, it's the best you see, when we're following the Lord. Notice he says he's more awesome, verse 4, than all gods. In fact, they're saying all these other gods that really aren't gods at all, they're worthless. Literally in the Hebrew, they're nothing. They're nothing. Any other god that the nations worship that are false gods, that are idols, are absolutely nothing. And our god is Everything. In fact, he says, our God made the sky. And then I love this in verse 6. Majestic splendor emanates from him. Amen. You know what he's saying? He's saying the light of the glory of God literally is just continually shining out from him. That's why on the Mount of Transfiguration, when Jesus gave like a glimpse of his glory to those that were there, it literally was just like a flash it, it, he, he couldn't, like, open himself up and let all of that glory out or else all those human beings there in their unglorified state would have been instantly vaporized. Thank the Lord that God is going to glorify us and take these human bodies off of us and give us a body to where we will be able to see him in all his glory Amen. and see him face to face. But don't ever forget that the Bible teaches us that there will not be any need in glory for sun or stars to light anything, that the Lord himself will be the light of eternity for us. I mean, think about that. That's a lot of light. To light up the universe of eternity out of his glory, that's, that's a lot of glory, my, my friends. His sanctuary is firmly established and beautiful. The place where God dwells is a beautiful place always. So I think about that even in the context of us. Do you realize even this little church here in Gilbert, Arizona called the Oasis because God's presence is here? To God, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful place because God's here meeting with us, his people. And God considers anywhere where his presence is and where his people are a beautiful place. Amen. So the cause of our worship 
is really the fuel and the foundation for the call to worship. We want to sing. We want to praise his name. We want to bless him. We want to announce and tell about him because we truly believe that the Lord our God is great and he is worthy of our praise. He deserves any and all praise that we can bring him, which leads me then to the content of worship beginning in verse 7. Just like in verse 1 and 2 where the psalmist starts out with three sings, here the psalmist in verse 7 and 8 uses three ascribes. The word ascribe simply in the Hebrew means to give. Now I want you to note something. Because we live in a world today amongst Christians and amongst churches where we are telling the people of God it's all about you and me getting. We don't come to church to give anything. We come to church to get. It's all about us. And, and we, have, we have just bought into this self-absorbed, self-centered society and world that we live in where now generations of Christians and, and multiplied hundreds and hundreds of churches not only across our country, but across the world, now are being filled by people who come on Sunday and come on Wednesday and come whenever they come to worship the Lord. And it's all about having their hand out to get something. And yet the content of true worship isn't about getting any more from God. It's about giving to God. Amen. Notice he says three times, give to the Lord, O families of the nations, Give to the Lord splendor and strength. Give to the Lord the splendor he deserves. Then notice, don't come for an offering. No, no, no. Bring an offering and enter his courts. You see, true worship, the content of true worship isn't a mentality and a perspective about God. What am I going to get? But God, what can I come before you and give to you? And let's not forget in the context of the psalmist saying, bring an offering and enter his courts about what David said about that very issue from the book of 2 Samuel when he was buying the threshing floor. And the man who owned that threshing floor to build an altar of worship to, the, to God said, I'll give it to you. And what was David's response? I will not offer to my Lord that which costs me what? Nothing. I'm going to sacrifice. Instead of looking to God to give more to me, my worship is going to be about what can I give back to the Lord? What can I invest in his kingdom? What can I do for him? Notice verse 9, worship the Lord. It literally means to bow down before. We talked about that in previous weeks. In holy attire. It simply means that when we come to the house of God as God's people, we should come with an attitude and a heart and a mind that is fitting for the king of glory. This isn't so much about the clothes that we wear. But it is about coming to the house of God and saying, God, I, I, I'm, I'm coming to give you the very best that I can give you. And if I don't have much to give you that day, I'll just give you what I have. 
But I'm coming to give, not to receive, not to get. Now, here's why this is important. The reason why this perspective is really the content of our worship is because it acknowledges and recognizes, oh, God's already given me more than I ever could ever need or could ever deserve. So why do I keep holding my hand? And not that God ever stops giving. Can I tell you that? It's not that God is ever going to shut off his grace and, 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 and be an ungiving God, because that's not who God is. But he wants to create in us a heart of worship. And a heart of worship is one that acknowledges God's already done more than enough for me. If God never did one more thing for Jeff Royce for the rest of my life, I've already been blessed out of my mind. Amen. That's the kind of mind and heart God wants to create. Let, let's be reminded today as God's people what God has already done for us. The Bible tells us that he's already poured out his love into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us, Romans 5, 5. That means I've, I've already been loved by God and that God doesn't need to give me any more love. I just need to receive the love he's already given through the presence of the Holy Spirit who dwells within every believer because the Bible says he's poured it out. Amen. You and I are loved. And if God never did anything else but love us, that would be enough. But then the Bible says God loved us so much that he sent his one and only son to die for us. Oh, but it doesn't stop there. The Bible says he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. The Bible says we're already positionally seated with Christ in the heavenly places. Peter tells us that he's given us already everything that we need that pertains to living a life of godliness and navigating life on this earth. It's what he's already done. The Bible tells us that he deserves praise because day after day he carries our burdens for us. Amen. I mean... I could go on and on about what God's already done. He's already transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his son whom he loves. Our citizenship is already in heaven from whom we wait for our Savior to come back from there. We already have our name written in heaven and in glory. We already have an eternal glorious home and future to look forward to. Our God has already filled us with hope because he's the God of hope. I mean, on and on about the things that God has already done for us. And again, I say to all of us as his people, if God never did one more thing for us than what he's already done, we've already been blessed so abundantly that you and I humanly can't even describe how big we've been blessed. Amen. And yet... Because we live in a world that never has enough. We live in a world of discontentment and dissatisfaction and restlessness. We've created that same culture within God's people and God's churches. And we've created this sense that when we come to worship God, God, give me more. Instead of God, thank you for what I already have. 
because I don't deserve any of it. And that's what the psalmist is saying here. That's the kind. And again, it's not that God will ever stop giving because that's not who God is. He will withhold no good thing from those that he loves. Every good and every perfect gift comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. God will never be outgiven. You and I can, and no matter how much we sacrifice, no matter how much we give to others or to God or to invest, we can never outgive what God's already done for us. Amen. And so he's saying to the people of God, the content of true worship is not coming into his house and, and waking up every day saying, God, what will you give me today as much as God, what can I give back to you? Amen. And there's always one thing we can give God, even if we have nothing materially or physically to give God, and that is we can always give him our worship and our praise. Amen. We can always be thankful. We can always show our appreciation for what we already have abundantly through God. But then I want you to see this. I want you to see the context of worship here today. And that is so important as well. Because remember, I talked about this global focus, and we're going to come back to that in just a moment, and here's why. Because in verse 10, the psalmist reminds us, the context of our worship always has to be in line with the fact that the Lord reigns. As we've already said, God is on his throne he will never leave his throne. He's always been on his throne. He always will be on his throne. God reigns. And our worship should, should align with that. And instead of coming in defeated, we should come in realizing the victory that we have through Jesus Christ and that we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's why he goes on to say in verse 10, the world is established. It cannot be moved. There's no need for anxiety amongst God's people. God is in control. And then he says he judges the nations fairly. So let the sky rejoice, the earth be happy, the sea and everything in it, the field. What's he saying there? Notice he's saying creation itself is going to react one day to welcome and celebrate the coming of the Lord because not only does the psalmist establish that the Lord reigns, notice in verse 13, he's saying the reason why creation is celebrating is because the king is coming. Amen. Remember in Romans 8, when the Bible says that creation right now is groaning, <laughs> waiting for its own redemption because it's under the curse, well, I think that this is the reverse of that in Psalm 96. Think about it. Creation itself in some way is going to worship and praise the Lord when the King of kings and Lord of lords comes back to rule and reign on the earth that he created. Notice in verse 13, twice he says, he comes. And there is no doubt about it. It's as if it's already happened. And when he comes this time, he's not coming as the Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. He's not going to come as the, as the humble suffering servant of Isaiah 53. No, the next time Jesus comes to this earth and sets foot on the earth, he's coming to rule and reign. He's coming as the Lion of the tribe of Judah. He's coming in all of his glory. And you and I, the armies of heaven, are coming back with him to rule and reign on this earth. 
And that needs to always be the context of our worship. You see, the psalmist is saying, we always should worship in light of the end. Not where things are now, but where things will be. That's how we worship. That's why we always can give God praise. There's a, not a lot to praise God about as far as the condition of this world right now. But knowing that the king is coming and that he is going to be vindicated before the nations of the world and all the families of the earth and that God's people are going to be vindicated and he's going to set up his kingdom, the psalmist is saying that's the context of our worship that Jesus wins, that we know how this is all going to end. We know how it's going to end for us. We know that we, the Bible says, are going to rule and reign with Christ forever and ever. Amen. The Bible says this is how it's going to end for each of us, that, beloved, we are now the children of God, and it has not been yet revealed what we will be, what we know this. When he comes and we see him, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. That's how it's going to end. And that's why the psalmist says this needs to be the context of our worship. When Jesus taught his followers how to pray, do you remember what the very priority and passion of that prayer was? It was, oh God, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's the very first thing. Before give us this day our daily bread and all those other things, and it's God. The first thing I'm, I'm focused on is your kingdom coming and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because see, what you and I take time to pray about is really what our passion is. It's a priority. If you and I are praying for someone or praying about something, that means it's a passion of ours and it's a priority. So when Jesus taught his followers, pray this way, and he starts with his kingdom coming, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven, he says, I want to create in my people this heart that the very first priority, the very first passion of our lives is to get up every day and live just praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done on this earth as it is in heaven. To look forward to that day, to set our hope on that day, not on things on the earth, but on the grace that's going to appear to us when Jesus Christ is revealed in all his glory from heaven. That's the context of our worship. And that's why he ends the way he does. Why the global focus? Why 10 times in 13 verses does the psalmist make reference to all the earth and the nations and the families of nations and the families of the earth? Because God is saying this to his people. He's saying, if we have a heart to worship God, then we will also have a heart to invite others to worship him as well that we will not be able to keep the worship of God to ourselves, but we will always be looking outside of ourselves to see who can I talk to, who can I tell, who can I invite to come and also be a worshiper of God. Let me remind you of the way they did it in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, when the people of God would be coming to the house of God that day to worship him, they wouldn't all meet at the house of God like we do today. They would meet some other designated place and then they would walk 
to the house of God together as a group. And the whole time they were coming to the house of God, you know what they were doing? They were worshiping. They were singing. They, see, worship didn't start when they got to the house of God. Worship started before they got to the house of God. And they came in to the courts of God and to the gates of God's house, worshiping him already and praising him. And you know what else was happening during that time? As they were going through neighborhoods, they were a witness because other people were looking out going, where's that crazy group of people? What are they doing and where are they going? And there were some who were bold enough to say, we're going to the house of our God to worship him. You want to come with us and join in? And you know what? Some of them did. And that's what God wants to create with his people today. He wants to create in us such a heart to worship him that we can't wait to go out and invite our coworkers and, and, and those that we live in neighborhoods with and, and those that we go to school with and our family members and friends and anybody that we can to say, hey, will you come to the house of God and worship my God with me? Because I can't wait to get there and I'm hoping that you'll find the joy in worshiping God like I do. Will you come with me to worship God? Every Sunday, we have that opportunity to invite people to come with us. And let me say this, as far as just a little bit of a tinge, and I don't do it that often, of an advertisement for our, work, for our Christmas series coming up. I know some of you are happy that I'm finally doing a month-long Christmas series, by the way. <laughs> but but let, me, let me tell you something of, of why this year especially. Not just because it's the first year in, in our building here God spoke to me and said Jeff I want my people at the oasis to recapture their wonder of Christmas because when you think about the fact that God God became human that alone would give us enough to think about for a long long time and then the fact that in the incarnation you have this 100% deity, divinity, God, alongside of 100% humanity. I don't know about you, but I'll never be able to totally, you know. But that's the wonder of Christmas. And God says, here's why God's people need to recapture the wonder of Christmas and the Christmas story. Because when you and I recapture the wonder of the stories of God and of who God is and what God's done, then we also become greater witnesses. Wonder leads to witness. The more we wonder at God, the more we are able to witness to others about who God is, how great he is and how worthy of praise he is and how much he deserves our praise. Wonder always leads to witness. And so this year during the Christmas series, I'm hoping that that you and I as God's people will recapture the wonder of what Jesus did and what God did in his son Jesus at Christmas time so that you and I can go out at Christmas time when everybody else is focused on material things and physical things and this party to go to and that and all these things and we get so busy that somehow the Lord Jesus is missed in all of this that you and I will be able to go out so, so inspired, if you will, by the wonder of Jesus and what Christmas is truly all about, that you and I will be able to, throughout the holiday season, to be a witness to those 
that just don't have a clue what it's really all about. That's what Psalm 96 is about. It's about the people of God having such a heart for God and for the worship of God that as we come to his house, as we journey from our house to his house, we're just trying to touch as many people as we can and say, will you come with me? Our God is so great. He's so worthy of praise. Will you come and be a part of it? Because guess what? One day, even for those that choose not to worship the Lord Jesus now, the Bible says one day every knee will bow. Every tongue one day will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why not God's people loving and caring enough about those that don't know Jesus yet to be witnesses so that we can get more people on this side of Jesus, with Jesus, aligned with Jesus, in love with Jesus, worshiping Jesus, than to watch them go out into a Christless eternity. Amen? Amen. That's our responsibility. That's on us as God's people. And it all starts, it all starts with the heart of worship. So could we stand and get ready to worship our God? Father, we thank you today for being here and meeting with us, your people. God, we thank you that you are great and that you are worthy of our praise, that you are beautiful that you are beyond description, that there is no one or nothing like you in this entire universe, and that, God, we want to show you that we value you more than anything or anyone else, that you are worth more to us than all the gold and all the silver and anything, Lord, the world could ever give us, God. Whatever accolades and praise and applause and, and, and prestige that we could ever get on this earth, Lord, does not even begin to compare to hearing you say one day to us, your children, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home, my child. You are home with me. God, that's what we're all about. That's what we're looking forward to. And God, I pray that as you create and shape in us a heart of worship for you, God, that we just couldn't contain it, that God, even in this room on Sundays and Wednesdays, Lord, we would just fill up this room and spill out over this room our praise and worship of you. Help us, Lord, as your people to sing, sing, sing. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.